Welcome to Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. Each episode, LRB Health's Keith Viglioli will talk to the healthcare insiders who are helping to fundamentally transform our healthcare industry. Hey everyone, this is Tom Salami. Welcome back to Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. It's a very special episode of Healthcare is Hard. I'm here with Keith Figlioli, our great host. Hey, Keith, happy birthday to you, man. Or happy birthday <laughs> to the podcast, at least. Yeah, it feels it feels kind of fun. And, um, you know, we've got good news and bad news today, right, Tom? We've got some excitement to discuss around uh, the first season with the two of us doing this. And then we got some pretty sad news with, with you potentially departing as my co-host for season two. <laughs> That's kind of it. It's not sad news. It's just new news for, for both of us. We've got a, a new exciting, I think, opportunity for the podcast. People should know that uh, you intend to carry healthcare is hard forward and, uh, and continue these great conversations. And yes, I'll be uh, taking another position going back to the med tech industry, a group called Device Talks. Um, I am a med tech guy at heart. I've learned a lot in these podcasts, but very happy to be specializing on, uh, on the med tech industry. So podcast folks will, will be able to find me there. More details on that later, but thanks for mentioning that. That's kind of you. But we're here to talk about healthcare is hard, a podcast for insiders. So this has been a uh, Quite a year of conversations. I think I've, uh, as I said, I've learned from each and every one of them. And I think you and uh, your team went through the interviews and really picked out some three really big takeaway themes from the first year. Want to hit upon some of those? Sure. Yeah. I mean, if we if we take a step back and you and you you trace sort of over the last twelve months of uh, the various sort of noise factors in the marketplace, you know, I think some of some of what came out of these discussions over the course of the last year kind of hit a lot of those themes. Um, so we tried to sort of look back and do the best of uh, on this episode as we roll into season two and try to give people a quick glimpse of kind of what we took away, right? What you and I both took away um, from the various discussions of, of healthcare um, insiders and leaders that we had um, on the podcast. So Value-based care, which has always been front and center for the last number of years, was a big part of the discussion. Was and, and it was really about, you know, what's the pace? You know, I think I asked the question almost to every single guest. You know, what do you think the pace is? Do you think it's happening? Do you think we're trenching back to fee-for-service? You know, our view at, at LRV Health is, you know, VBC value-based care is inevitable, but it's gradual. And I think we heard a lot of that. And we're going to pull some excerpts. Um, from Dr. Steve Strongwater over at Atrius Health, um, obviously with an organization that has an enormous amount at risk uh, and is front and center on BBC. Uh, Dr. Glenn Steele, who used to be the CEO of Geisinger um, and you know really is thought of as, as one of the first sort of pioneers on the value front with his work at Geisinger. And then another player in that space is Susan DeVore um, at Premier and all the great work that Premier does uh, around value-based care and continues to do. And so I think we pulled those kind of three quotes up to sort of depict sort of what we heard pretty consistently from the various players over the course of the year. Um, and then the second one, which is probably I would call the, uh, the I'd say buzzword, but the, the hot term of the year, which is social determinants of health. Um, and we had some great, great quotes and great, great exchanges mm -hmm. with various people um through through the year um and then finally uh new market entrants and partners i think is you know everybody has talked about amazon walmart you know retail explosion tech explosion into the space we spent a good amount of time with a number of people uh talking about that and how do they think about that so people like terry shaw at advent uh health um 
you know, what does that mean to his market? Uh, people like uh, Dr. Mark Kerouac at Bay State Health, what does that mean to his market? He's got a dominant share out in Western Mass. You know, how's he thinking about new partnerships? And so we try to pull all those out um, and highlight them, frankly. That's a, that was a great idea to do that. And I think just to explain, folks, is a, a sort of a new form, format of, for the podcast. So what we'll do is we'll hit upon each segment uh, uh, individually. And at the start of each each area that we're covering, we'll uh, highlight who will be speaking. And uh, and then we'll just actually just take excerpts of the, of the interviews so people can hear directly uh, what they uh, what they said on these specific topics. So I think it'll be a very informative episode. And I think, and Tom, for, before we uh, get into it, I think we should also highlight the fact of where we're going with all of this. I think, as, as you know, season two is starting to line up to be uh, a tremendous season in terms of the type of people uh, that we're going to get on. We've gotten such great feedback from season one that we've, we've kind of put the pedal down <laughs> for season two and try to uh, continue to ramp up the, the level of, of, of folks that we get front and center talking about a lot of these topics. So we're extremely excited about um, uh, next season as well, which I wanted to highlight before we get too far into recapping season one. Well, let's, uh, let's hit upon the, the next or well, first episode of season two. You'll actually be doing a live interview at the upcoming Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. It's happening on December 10th in Boston. Uh, just uh, give a quick uh, quick uh, discussion as to who you'll be talking about or who you'll be talking to and what you'll be talking about. Yeah, I, you know, I, I would say, uh, as I say often, uh, I think I think I'm a lot more lucky than good some days, and, and we got very lucky with this guest. <laughs> um, I have a very uh, close friend and and Dr. John Halopka, which a lot of people know, and and he hooked me up with uh, his CEO, uh, Dr. Kevin Tab, uh, at the newly integrated organization Beth Israel Leahy uh, here in Boston, which is um, you know the dominant number two player behind partners uh, in the marketplace, and so you know. I think we're in for a really special discussion at the summit. Um, Dr. Tab is obviously recent taken over the organization. Um, you know, I've heard a couple of things in the local media um, from him about what his vision is for the organization. So I am really excited to sort of talk with him live on stage to the audience about where are things going there? How does he think about the Boston market? How does that play into the national stage? He's had experiences at the national stage as well. Um, so I think people are up for a real treat on that one and yet another really good example of a true insider CEO running a large healthcare system here in the Boston market, a very competitive market. Um, and uh, we're really, really excited for it. That'd be great. If folks want to see it live, then go to dhis.net to register. But now let's get into uh, this episode of Healthcare is Hard. And we'll hit, hit upon our first area of value-based healthcare, as you discussed. Our first uh, guest will be Steve Strongwater of Atrius. And then uh, you will have uh, we'll, we'll take from I think what was your very first conversation with Glenn Steele uh, when you, that was the only call that you did remotely. So folks are a little <laughs> bit or, or or not on site. That was the one call you had via phone. You're like the heck with this. I yeah, that talk didn't to work. So face we, to face. We, we 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 quit that we quit that early, which is a good call. <laughs> so people might hear a little bit of difference, and then finally we'll hear we'll hear from Susan Devore of Premier. So let's get going. Where are we? at a country level. So if we're in Massachusetts, is Massachusetts really an outlier? And is Atrius really an outlier? Let's just take a baseball game. Yep. So we got nine innings. Yep. Last night it was 10 for the Red Sox and they still lost. Yeah. But let's go nine. But um, say you're in the sixth or seventh of figuring this out. 
you know, Massachusetts plus you, and then we'll get into a little bit what I think is a very unique relationship you have with uh, the Blues here in, in town. But where where do you see the rest of the country? I mean, is it really pocket to pocket by geography? Is it really pocket pocket by competitive dynamics in those geographies? How yeah, do you think about that? It's a really great question, and I would say at a very high level nationally, uh, especially in an election year, there is um, a great deal of alignment about moving to value-based care. Right. Uh, I would have to say that we're in stutter steps based on different markets. So there are some markets uh, that have retreated from value-based care, right. uh, even though it's where the rest of the country needs to go. And if you look at trends of FIFA service revenue versus risk-based revenue of one sort or another, I'd say generally speaking there's more at-risk money Initially, upside only risk, but I would say that we're on the journey to bi-directional risk. Certainly, that's what CMS has signaled, a desire to go to um, full risk, uh, and their new models of uh, proposed reimbursement for primary care uh, tend to move in that direction. Um, But there's a great deal of resistance, and the way the country has evolved, I'll say large national purchasers, large employers, find it easier to purchase PPO model, FIFA FIFA service models, um, without, uh, largely because they can't create the kind of tight networks that are needed for managing full risk in individual markets. What's your overall view of where we stand in the marketplace in in the transition to value-based care? Well, first of all, I think you've got to define value, and and it's not, it's it's classically thought of as as outcome uh, uh, divided by cost. Uh, and and the cost obviously is most easily calculated by dollars spent. But uh, since I started out as a practicing uh, clinician and spent 24 years taking care of patients, uh, a huge amount of my definition of value is um, is outcome for the patients over the amount of aggravation that those patients and their families actually have to endure. Uh, and uh, uh, throughout my career, uh, my definition of, of, of value uh, is, is based on uh, achieving the highest possible and best possible outcome and decreasing the amount of aggravation for the patient and the patient's family. And, and believe it or not, quite often uh, that definition of value is quite uh, consistent with uh, decreasing costs uh, as well. So I, I think it's really important to put the patient's perspective at the top uh, and to define value based on you know what's important to them. And you think that given where margins are, given where consolidation is going, at least at the health system level, you think that social system and that change, and we'll get a little bit into the BBC value-based care next, is I think that's starting to change at the administrative level for a lot of these systems, a lot of people running, running on. I think it is changing, but I think it it is changing right now in an experimental way. I think the only way that it changes at scale is if you get health systems off the the fee-for-service drip. So unless you have global payment models, double-sided risk payment models, models in which people are bonused or penalized based on their ability to drive efficiency and outcomes and quality and safety and patient experience... um, it's too easy to just stay in the fee-for-service world. So I would say today, 10 or 15%, it's sort of a normal distribution curve. 
you've got the, the innovators, you've got the early adopters, you've got the people who proactively know that we cannot end up at 20% of GDP, we can't be twice the rate of growth of the economy, and that that risk is going to be shifted to providers. So the people that see that coming are building the infrastructure for that, driving the experimental implementation of it right now so that they're ready when it's broader. All right, well, those are some great thoughts on value-based healthcare. Now I want to move into our next segment about social determinants. This is a fascinating space, and you had some great guests on this, starting with Karen DeSalvo. Why don't you uh, just give us some highlights on uh, what we'll be hearing? Yeah, so this was this was one that we kind of purposely probed and purposely brought in a few guests to talk about um, over the course of the year because it was in every discussion over the course of the year. It was not only in huge fundraising activities for early stage companies. It was front and center uh, at the payer lens. It was front and center at the health system lens. It was front and center at CMS and what they're trying to do um, with payment reform, um, new supplemental benefits for MA. And so because of all that sort of noise and things that were going on in the market, we felt that it was important to bring people front and center who frankly were experts. And so uh, no better than the first expert than Dr. Karen DeSalvo, um, who really is one of the leading authorities and um, so much so that I actually just got appointed to be um, uh, one of the senior executives over at Google. And so um, not only do we believe that, and she's an, actually an advisor to our fund, but you know, mm-hmm. now you have players such as Google sort of tapping into her knowledge base, thinking about uh, this very, very important topic and how it incorporates into sort of our, our care protocol and, and overall the, the health of, of the various communities around this country. Um, so we spent a good amount of time talking with her all the way going back to her Hurricane Katrina days. Um, and then the next excerpt actually came from Dr. Penny Wheeler, who's the CEO of Alina, really talking about whole person care, which ties directly into that. And how do you, how does a health system leader or set of leaders really start thinking about, you know, delivering the right care at the right place at the right time and thinking about the holistic side of that, not just, you know, the clinical episode. And so she talks a little bit about that front. And then finally, in a very similar vein, uh, Terry Shaw, who's the CEO of Advent Health down in um, Florida, um, talks very in a very similar manner um, to uh, Penny about this whole person care and how do we start rethinking what the care continuum looks like for the average health system. And so I, I think these excerpts really kind of hit sort of the key points that we, we drew out over the course of a number of interviews over the course of uh, the year. I mean, this is a this is a real thing. You hear the term whole person and you wonder if it's a if it's a buzzword. But you could tell in these conversations that this is genuinely important to these leaders in healthcare. This is a real thing that's really happening. Yeah. And I think, you know, people are always um, so skeptical about a lot of these healthcare leaders, about health system leaders that, you know, they're not going to do it unless it's a fee for service thing. I actually would push back pretty hard on that right now. I think people are understanding whether it's VBC or it's fee for service, they need to start thinking very differently about that. And they need to think about that for their communities, but they also need to think about it for their overall strategies about how they're thinking about their, their footprint. And, you know, we talked a lot this year about platforms, you know, how does a health system think about a platform? How does a payer think about it as a platform? Um, and, the only way you need to think about that is how do you think about the whole aspect of care or the whole person? Um, because in time, yes, gradually, this is also going to all be at risk. Great point. Let's get into these terrific conversations, starting with Karen DeSalvo, now of Google, then of the University of Texas at Austin, Dell Medical School. 
But I wanted to start with Katrina. Okay. And I think a lot of people know a little bit of the story. Some people might not know it at all. Mm-hmm. But take us back to then. It was 2005, I think. It's 2005. It would be 14 years this summer. And so I had gone to Tulane, um, and and I'm and you and I were talking earlier about the easy glide path. Um, I, I put myself through college. I had to get myself through med school. It was there was nothing perfectly seamless about my growing up and becoming a professional. But it was what I wanted so badly. The closer I got to practicing medicine, whether it was in med school or residency or whatever, the more I just fell in love with the whole opportunity to. I don't know, be part of people's lives and and use my skills to help them. It was, uh, I, and I think as I was practicing medicine over those years before Katrina, I kept running into the same challenge, which was that I could practice medicine really well, but there were a lot of other things my patients needed that I couldn't do, especially the ones that were, which was most of them, uninsured, low income. They needed help with you know, transportation or understanding what to eat or being able to find healthy food. They had a lot of social situations uh, that were really complicated. And so a great deal of the time when I was practicing medicine in the hospital or in the clinic, I was also trying to do social work uh, and other things. And so when when Katrina happened in 2005, it was this really interesting moment when a catastrophe opened some doors for us to create a healthcare system that would allow us to not only practice great medicine, but address the non-medical drivers of health. And I, um, I actually remember very vividly when those different moments happened and I saw the doorways opening. You know, Katrina um, was a storm that shut down our community for um, as much as a month. We were underwater, a landmass the uh, size of the island of Manhattan, so a really big scale of, of catastrophe. And the duration of water that was in the foundations and the wiring and the plumbing of the buildings meant that we really took us – it took us months to years to begin to, to build back. And so let's let's dig into the community side for a second because the, the biggest buzzword of all buzzwords right now, there's always one a year yeah. in healthcare is social determinants. Yeah. And it's an important word and, yeah. and it's an important effort. And I know you've been on the front lines for a while now yourself and Alina sort of thinking through that. So I'd love to maybe – Learn a little bit more about what you all have been doing around those those set of activities because it's pretty complex. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, the our community benefit function has become you know looking at community needs assessment, but becoming much more strategic and center and having a center position for our strategy. And we've done it in this way where we applied for a CMMI, Accountable Health Communities Grant, and got it. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing now is screening people for social determinants of health. Um, at our clinics and many of our emergency rooms as well. And the things we're screening for are, you know, transportation needs, violence in the home, Mm -hmm. food insecurity, um, utilities, and housing aspects. And uh, what we found is that about a third of the people we're seeing are having one of those identified needs. Mm -hmm. And now through a wonderful software program we use now, Paul, we can actually connect them to viable community resources that are updated automatically all the time. So Mm -hmm. it actually connects that to those services. So about a third of the time they're saying that they need this. 
um, almost half of the time uh, when they have an identified needs, it's food insecurity. And we're getting these tremendous stories out of just connecting people to other community resources where they say that, uh, you know, one person told a doctor, well, I knew you cared about me. Now I know you really care about me. We had an interview with Gary Bisbee, um, the founder of HMA, uh, a couple no of Gary, episodes. Yeah, I know Gary well. Yeah, so a couple episodes ago. And he said, hands down, it was like the firmest statement he said through the entire discussion that the clinical enterprise needs to be completely redesigned. And you're nodding, so I assume you agree with that. Well, so when you come into the hospital for open heart surgery, you're going to get it my way. Right. I'm sorry, but it just is what it is. You come in for brain surgery, there's a lot of things you're going to come in for in the hospital. You're going to get it somebody else's way. Mm -hmm. But when you really think about caring for a broad group of people in a marketplace, and you're really incentivized to do that well, you start getting into the right things that that's a part of what Gary thinks is the care continuum, social determinants of health. What can we do in your home with you that you couldn't do on your own? What can we do to put you into the right environment so that mentally, physically, spiritually, socially, you have a better opportunity in life than you had before? Right. There are all kinds of things. Another one, if you're really responsible for the health of a million people, You'd want to know how they're getting fed. And so there are a lot of things in the whole care process that you're going to rethink as you figure out a way to really care for people in that setting. All right. That was a great round of conversations. Again, another very important space. And now let's, this is a really interesting area, I think, for anyone who's attended conferences or, or writes about healthcare, which is just the, the new entrants coming into the space. We talked about Google hiring Karen DeSalvo. I mean, that's, that's a meaningful hire. Obviously, they're, uh, they're, they're moving quickly into the space. The news of Ascension, their arrangement with Ascension recently was very interesting. But uh, let's go over the next three conversations we have talking about new market entrants and, and potential partners in the healthcare space. Yeah, I think this this is probably the uh, most strategic set of discussions for healthcare leaders um, in our country right now, in my opinion. If you think about what Amazon is doing uh, with their virtual care platform, along with J.P. Morgan and Berkshire Haven, if you think about what CVS is doing with the health hubs, if you think about what Walmart is doing with their very transparent clinics, um, you know, there's just a lot of moving parts right now for the incumbents to think about. And I think this is just a great topical area for everybody to think about and how in the light of those moving parts or what I typically call the tectonic shifts taking place in our marketplace, because it's really about the distribution of patients or consumers and how they're going to get various pieces of care in different settings. How do these leaders that have been around for, you know, a number of decades, think about that and how do they shift? And so we had the, you know, the luxury to be able to talk to great people who've been in these roles for long periods of time, like Joe Randolph at the Innovation Institute, who used to be the COO and CFO of St. Joseph Health, which is now part of Providence, um, also had the opportunity to talk to Dr. Mark, Dr. Mark Kerouac, um, who runs Bay State Health out in Western Mass. Um, and then finally, also, we brought in another excerpt from Terry Shaw at Advent, in this particular topic, because I thought he had some really interesting things to say as well on this. And so these are people that are grappling in real time with these strategies as the market is shifting all around them. And I think this will continue to be a very, very hot topic for the next five to seven years that people need to think about and make the right type of moves. Great. Let's hear from Joe Randolph of the Innovation Institute. It feels like it's slowed down a little. And obviously we had Common Spirit come together with Dignity and CHI, which you know well. 
Um, and that's a mega, mega merger. I think they're at 23, 24 billion as a total system. Um, but it feels like now people are examining back to this kind of alternative revenue stream. What, what, what does these, these health systems or platforms ultimately become? And depending on your zip codes and your geography or your multi-state approach, what do you need to be doing outside of the bounds of what you've done traditionally all the way back to, to the missionary days of delivering care? You know, um, it was interesting because with St. Joseph, when I was there, they were kind of back from their early beginnings. They were instructed to go out into the communities, find out what the needs are, partner with others in collaboration, and, and try to meet the needs. And so if you think about that mission from the St. Joe's perspective, uh, really that's what they need to do today is they need to find partners in the, in the industry to, to work with. And so I think you're seeing other, others enter the market. You hear a lot about Amazon. You hear, you know, the the uh, pharmacy industry in terms of, uh, you know, these uh, centers they have set up inside the the actual CVS or the Minute Clinics and that type of thing. So you're seeing a lot of other entrants in the market, the retail space, and and I think that there's a lot of opportunity uh, depending on. I mean, it, there's risk involved in diversification, getting away from your core, but I think in order to protect their their margin, I think they're going to have to do that. And do you feel like in the next five to 10 years, you'll see a lot of overlapping, new emerging and established folks kind of partnering in different ways than we've seen in the past? Without a doubt. As a matter of fact, we have spoken with some of these disruptive competitors. They were a little surprised to see us. Uh, and we basically sat down and said, essentially, we understand what we, we think we understand your strategy. But sooner or later, some of your patients are going to need a hospital. And why wouldn't you pick a high-quality, low-cost one like us? So right. why don't we partner? Right. Um, it's, uh, they look at us kind of quizzically. Uh, but, you know, uh, one of the big ones has just called us back. There you go. And so maybe something will come of it. So play off that for a second, Terry. And you, and you think about, and I have talked to this, uh, Mark Kerouac at Bay State, Penny at Alina, and a few others. Where do partnerships play into this? So if you think about the heavyweights that are coming at you, you know, the CBSs, the others that are either coming at you or partnering with you, how are you thinking about that now? Is that part of the mix as well? Absolutely. We have um, numerous partnerships that I won't go into today. I don't think for a second we can do this on our own. Um, Nor do I think for a second that competition will go away on niche pieces in the downline that we're trying to help manage. What's most important to me is that we find the right partners in the right places so that a life can be managed the way that person wants it to be managed so that they bring continuity of care to themselves and a rationalized process for them and and their family. And if we can have a partner do that and they win and we win in that transaction, that's fantastic. And we have multiples of those. All right, great thoughts from Terry Shaw. And that uh, concludes sort of our uh, wrap-up of the first year of Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. Keith, it's been a, a treat to, to do this with you. And uh, I remember when we conceived of the idea, or you conceived the idea and asked me to help you put it together. And, and I think it, uh, it's exceed, I know it's exceeded my expectations. I hope, uh, I hope you feel the same way. Yeah, it's definitely exceeded our expectations. And I just, you know, personally want to thank you, Tom, because you've been a, a trusted and great partner through this in the first season. And you look forward to keeping in touch as, as you move on to your next phase and, and we move on to the second season here. Um, you know, this really wouldn't have happened without your help. All right. Thanks, Keith. That's kind of you. It's been, uh, as I said, a great year. And I hope folks will join you at the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit 
in Boston if you want to talk about your uh, your live interview once more. Yeah, and so I think, you know, December 10th, we've got Dr. Kevin Tabb from Beth Israel Leahy, um, the CEO of that system, the new integrated system there on stage. And it really is uh, similar to what we did last year. We did the kickoff with uh, Bert, CFO of Intermountain, live on stage. We have kind of the season two kickoff with this kind of live interview, which I think is a terrific way to start off the season. And then I said, behind him, we've got some incredible people lined up, which I can't get into the details, but I will tell folks that these are probably some of the, the biggest leaders of the top five health systems around this country. And we're ecstatic to sort of start interviewing a couple of those folks as well. Um, so we just got a really interesting lineup uh, set up. And we are excited to sort of get season two kicked off and keep running forward. I tell you, we've gotten a tremendous amount of feedback this past year on people really appreciating the very open dialogues with these leaders that, you know, they have a really hard time traditionally sort of getting these points of view in a very candid fashion to what we do here on the podcast. So keep the feedback coming in. Um, we love it. And we will continue to try to do our best to ensure that we get authentic and real uh, conversations on what's happening on the ground floor with with leaders that are, are true insiders in our space. That's great. No, I, I do believe in the power of podcasts. Obviously, it's a it's a great way to get uh, get the word out. And I normally do this part by myself, but uh, you're on Twitter. How can people follow you and, and reach out to you if they have thoughts about the podcast or anything else? Yeah, I think you know, it's funny. You, you, say, you always say you always say Twitter. I I find Twitter is a harder medium. I find a lot of people going through LinkedIn these days, and so I'd say you know you can definitely find me on LinkedIn. People know my name. I'm happy to usually respond to almost everything. Um, that's probably the easiest way, and uh, we'll take it from there. Yep, that's a good point. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter at MedTechTom. So this has been great, great year number one, and I look forward to listening to year number two. Thanks so much, Keith. Thank you, Tom.